But as I was getting ready for uh, tonight's teaching in uh, Second Kings, I was reminded of these verses, and uh, I'm going to actually read to you from Ephesians chapter 5 to begin. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit before we worship. So uh, if you'd like, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. What is it that we can be doing, not only during uh, this quarantine time or whatever you want to call it, but always? And what is it that the Lord can and is doing in the middle of this um, pandemic? Well, one of the things I think he's doing is he's stripping us of all the extracurricular things or extra things that don't really matter and getting us back to the heart of the matter. And so I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this there. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, uh, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Should we be giving thanks now? Yes, and always. For this you know, verse 5, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, and this is what I underlined for tonight, who is an idolater, an idolater. People put so many things before the Lord. And this here, written uh, to the Ephesian church, is saying that people in our times, in the church age, put sex and covetousness and jealousies of that sort and uncleanness, they elevate those things as an idol in their lives, even before the Lord. Well, keep going on who is an adulterer, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then it goes on and it says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words. So in order to distinguish between words that are full of spiritual truth and empty words, where do you run to? You run to the Lord where wisdom is given. And in these times, there's so many empty words over the airwaves, uh, uh, people that you meet out on the street are giving empty, uh, anxious, hurting words. What if we entered in with words full of life? And in order to do that, you and I and we must be filled up with the Lord. Keep going. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Oh, praise God for that. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out, or, yeah, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's verse 10. Now verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Be able to distinguish between light, the things of the Lord, and the things that are not of the Lord. And that's very subtle, because some things that look really shiny and really pretty and really seductive and really um, wealthy are not of the Lord. 
And it can be tricky, but when you know the Lord, you can distinguish. Verse 12, for it's shameful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Verse 14, chapter 5. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Oh, praise the Lord. Now, I read all of this to you to get you to this. Verse 15. What should we be doing in these times? Oh, wow. Just read the next verse. Oh, by the way, we should be doing these in all, the, uh, all times until the Lord comes back. And what better way than to do it now when you're at home, when you have more time, when you're not driving to and from work, you have an extra two hours a day. Listen to this. See then that you walk circumspectly not as fools, but as wise. And here it comes, here it comes. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, a lot of us feel far away from the Lord. We wonder if the Lord's close and the Bible tells us he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What better time than now to diligently seek the Lord? I'm gonna give you a challenge I'll bet you that our social media use has skyrocketed. You know, if we would have sat down and started on uh, uh, page one of this thing, we'd already be done by now. But many people spend all day, all the time, social media, TV, nothing wrong with that in, in moderation necessarily, but... What if we want to be close to the Lord? Let's do this. See that you walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Who's going to tell a hurting and lost world of the glories of the gospel? Us. But if we're frittering away the day on social media and movies only, Oh, what opportunities we're missing and we're not redeeming the time. Therefore, verse 17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You can do that in your home with your family singing and making melody to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I'm going to ask all of us, starting with me, that we would take this message and ask the Lord to help us, give us the grace and the resource to help us to redeem the time, to draw near to Him, if we don't draw near to him now, when would we? To fall on our face and ask him to forgive us for that thing that we haven't asked him uh, to forgive us for yet. The thing that is in our life that's stumbling us maybe and to move forward in redeeming, in investing the time for his kingdom. Let's do that, right? So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna worship the Lord. What better time to study 2 Kings? than now when you have time to pour over it. Let's pray. Lord, we just come together as brothers and sisters and we pray, Lord, you'd give us 
the, the ability, the resource, the grace to draw near to you in this time, Lord, so that you would fill us up and we could go out and love a hurting and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for leading us in those beautiful worship songs. Uh, we certainly appreciate you, you two doing that and all of our worship uh, folks here at the fellowship. Well, do me a favor and uh, turn to this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. Now, I've said this to people who are traveling with us. Uh, if you haven't done this, you're going to want to do this, and maybe I'll try and post uh, online tomorrow some sort of chart. But I have a chart, a list of the kings, uh, because uh, if you're just popping in on us here, you, you need to know that we are following uh, two, or the divided kingdom, the two different kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. We started with a united kingdom under King Saul in around 1043 B.C., uh, but that uh, didn't last very long, about 112 years until uh, 931 B.C. when the kingdom split into two, into what we're currently looking at now. The kingdom of Israel, as I said earlier, ten tribes to the north, and the kingdom of Judah, ten tribes, or excuse me, two tribes to the south. Um, and so uh, what we are doing is we're working our way through all the kings of Israel and all the kings of Judah. But in approximately, well, in 2 Kings chapter 2, we had a little interlude, or even before that actually, 1 Kings 17, all the way until uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. We had an interlude uh, instead of focusing on the kings in First and Second Kings, we focused on two prophets or two men of God. The first one being from First Kings 17 or so, Elijah. And in Second Kings 2, Elijah went up to be with the Lord. And immediately thereafter, his, uh, the person he was uh, mentoring, Elisha, with an S, Elisha, he took over the mantle, he took over the ministry of Elijah, and we've been following that from 2 Kings 2 all the way up until last week in 2 Kings 13. We ended with the death of Elisha. And so now what we're going to see are two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, and as they run their course... Israel is going to be taken into captivity by Assyrians in around 722 B.C. But the kingdom of Judah is going to be taken later on by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. But what constants can we look for? Constants, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-S, not the name constants, <laughs> What constants can we look for or identify here all the way from 2 Samuel until now? You must know this promise of God. You must, or you won't understand the rest of what we're going to talk about. In 2 Samuel 7, around chapter, or verse 10 through 17, you can jot that down, God promises to David, David, an everlasting kingdom, 
an everlasting kingdom. And you're saying to yourself, well, what does that have to do with me here in 2020 in a pandemic? Well, it has everything to do with you because if God wouldn't have kept his promises, then the Messiah would have never come through the uh, line of David and we'd still be in our sins. And we'd still be in our sins. So that constant weaves its way through first, uh, first and Second Samuel, or excuse me, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, and even till now. We're also going to see and encounter another promise that God made. It just happened a few chapters ago in Second Kings ten, verse thirty. There was this king of Israel, the Northern Kingdom. His name was Jehu. And he wiped out Baal worship, and God made a promise to Jehu's dynasty or family. Uh, God made a promise saying, through the fourth generation of your descendants, you, your descendants shall sit on the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now that's important. That's a constant. I want you to know it. And what does that even matter if that's the case? What does it even matter that God keeps his promises before we begin here? Well, it matters in every way. The Bible tells us that we serve a God who cannot lie. God is not only makes the promises, he's committed to his promises. So once he makes a promise, then that promise will come to pass. And we sit now on this side of the uh, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, and he's promised us these things, forgiveness of sins, oh, praise the Lord, eternal life. He's uh, promised to keep us from evil, to never leave us, to fill us with his spirit, with peace and joy and love and self-control as we walk according to the Spirit. And he's promised us, you know this, he's promised you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, he's promised us all things for life and godliness, the Scriptures tell us. All things for life and godliness. He's promised us wisdom in trials. And he says, if you'll ask for wisdom in trials, I'll give it to you liberally. I'll pour it out on you. And guess what, folks? We're in a trial right now. Here's something else he does. He finishes in your life what he starts. It's true. And many, many more. Oftentimes, when I'm uh, looking for the promises of God, I turn myself to the first and second chapter of the book of Ephesians, and I read it, and I reread it, and I marvel and and just wonder. I'm in wonder at the promises he makes to me and to you in Christ. So I want you to know that. Okay, so check this out. Look, turn with me to actually the 22nd verse of the 13th chapter of 2 Kings. Elisha has just died. And now in verses 22, 23, and 24, Israel recaptures cities from Syria. Syria, always an opponent of the people of God, Israel and Judah, but mostly Israel because they're right next to each other. And here, uh, where we left off, you can read it, Israel recaptures some cities from Syria. Okay, now we go on to chapter 14. 
Here's what it says. I'll read it to you. Follow along with me. Verse 1, chapter 14, 2 Kings. Here's the word of the Lord. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. Now, just so you know, that's a, that's a mouthful. But what he's telling you here is that Amaziah begins his reign in the southern kingdom of Judah. That's two tribes, southern kingdom of Judah. This one, called Amaziah, begins to reign. He's the king of Judah, and he becomes king. And in verse 2, it tells us he was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoaddan, or however you say that, Jehoaddan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Catch this. Who's the gold standard of the Bible in the Old Testament for the kings? The gold standard is David himself. What, listen to what it says. Yet not like his father. By the way, it wasn't his father. But that's often in the Old Testament how they say it. Because he came from the line of David. It wasn't his immediate biological father. And yet he was his father because he comes from the line of David. Get it? It's important to know. And he did what was right in the sight of David, or the Lord, excuse me, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established, in his hand that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. If you'll recall from last week, there was uh, his father, Joash, who was the boy king, who was hidden in the temple. And ultimately, after a somewhat successful kingdomship, at the end of his life, Joash was murdered by his servants. And here, his son is executing those servants who had murdered his father, the king. Verse 6, But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death uh, for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his or her own sins. Now that's an important verse to remember when uh, you hear a teaching that talks about generational curses. Folks, we are all responsible for our own sins. Just because my dad had a certain sin does not put a curse on me to make that sin. I'm responsible myself. Be careful. There are people who teach that. And yet, if my dad is a certain way, of course it's going to rub off on me because I lived with him for so long and he did things a certain way. And so, yes, we should maintain a good witness with our families and those who look up to us. And yet, we are uh, all responsible for our own sins. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Then, as you go on in verse 7, he killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. 
and took Selah by war and called its name Jokthiel to this day. Now, you're not going to really understand this chapter in this instance unless you turn with me to 2 Chronicles, just to your right a little bit, 2 Chronicles 25. 2 Chronicles 25. It's the same story rewritten, but it has more info. Follow along with me. Verse 1, Amaziah, 25 years old when he becomes king, reigns 29 years. You see, his mother's name was Jehoaddan of Jerusalem. Here's an important verse. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Catch it, catch it. But not with a loyal heart. You see, God's always after the heart. He always wants to see or he always knows and is, is able to see, that's a better way of saying it, the motives of the heart. He wants you and I, listen to this, folks, listen to this. We've preached on it several times during the Kings. He wants you and I with an undivided heart towards him. He doesn't want us to go through the motions. The Apostle Paul is this one who is called Saul, before he surrendered his life to Christ. He's a murderer of Christians because he was a well-educated Jewish man who studied the law and he didn't want this one, Jesus, and the the followers, the Christians, to upset his uh, uh, economic and social, uh, political uh, stature in the world. He didn't want him to upset that apple cart. And he murdered Christians. He He would pull people out of their homes and have them stoned if they didn't give up the name of the Lord. And ultimately, as he's on his way to Damascus, you know the story, the Lord comes to him and asks him why he's persecuting Jesus. The Lord says, why are you persecuting me? And to make a long story longer, this one, Saul, becomes Paul as he gives his life to the Lord and he gives up everything social status, economic status, whatever, to go and to establish his church. Well, see, this one, because of the grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense, God providing all of the, uh, or or, or removing all of the impediments for man to get back to the Father, uh, that's God's grace. He does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And now that Paul has submitted his life to this, listen to how he writes. Listen to what he writes. Listen listen to what he can say. This is found in Philippians chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, Paul says. What things I lived for. I put them all in the plus column. These I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. Here it is, folks. Listen to this. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Just knowing Christ. Not knowing him for the gifts he gives, although he does give great gifts, including some. But knowing the Lord. What is eternal life we learn in John 17? Knowing God and Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. Knowing him and being known by him. Here in Philippians 3, he says, For the excellence of knowledge of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I Listen, listen, here's Paul's overriding, arching, only thing that's a theme of his life, only thing that he, he, he thinks about and seeks in his life. It's this, that I may know him. And know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh yes, sufferings. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And we and he and all of us can obtain to the resurrection from the dead in Christ. I added that in there. Here, keep going. Not that I have already attained. So beautiful by Paul. So humble. Hey, I don't know it all, he says. Nor am I already perfected. And I'm not perfect, he says. But I press on, verse 12, chapter 3 of Philippians, that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Oh my. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended but one thing. Listen, not two things, not three things, not 20 things. But one thing, one thing. I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the point. Paul became a single-minded pursuer of God through Jesus. See, what happens for the kings is they do the stuff that's required of them but there's no loyalty in their heart. You know, when you get married, you know what you're called to be? Loyal. Loyal to one. And is it no, any, uh, any coincidence, no it's not, that we, as the body of Christ, are called the bride of Christ. And he is the groom, listen, we're loyal to one. One. And when you get back to Second Chronicles 25, Amaziah here didn't do these things. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not inside. And now it happened, verse 3 of Second Chronicles 25, as soon as the kingdom was established for him, that he executed his servants who'd murdered his father, the king. We talked about that. He didn't murder the children. Listen to this. I want you to pop down to verse 5 of Second Chronicles 25. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set them over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their fathers' houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from 25 or 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men. He had 300,000 men in his army, and they were able to go to war, who could handle a spear and a shield. Verse 6, he also hired, listen, this is the important part. This is the important part, folks. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel. Are you catching it? He's the king of Judah. He just hired 100,000 mercenaries from Israel. That's a lot of people. Guess what the Bible throughout always tells us, right? 
We read it everywhere. Don't trust in chariots and horses in the Old Testament. David wrote that. David knew it. A man after a God's own heart. David knew it. It's not to trust in my army. It's to trust in the living God who leads us. And here what he does is he hires 100,000 mercenaries. Verse 7. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, don't let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord isn't with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim, that's the ones up north. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. In other words, trust in the Lord. In this difficult time, trust in the Lord, not an army or not an extra 100,000. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? You catching it? A divided heart, a a double-minded heart, not a single-minded heart. Guess what happens? We serve the Lord, but we're concerned with other things, and they have a tug on our heart like money. You see it here? The right thing here is not to hire 100,000 mercenaries, not to pay out the gold or the silver or the money, and yet he's concerned, oh my goodness, should I take the path that the Lord has from me? I'm going to lose out on all that money. Sounds just like America. American Christianity. Well, go back. And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Oh, what a faithful saying. So Amaziah, verse 10, discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home, and therefore their their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought to them talk brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were all dashed in pieces. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah. Judah, that's the southern kingdom, from Samaria to Beth Horon, killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil. Now it was so, verse 14, this isn't in the prior chapter, that's why I'm reading it to you. You're getting a more complete picture. Now it was so, verse 14, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Oh, it's okay to worship the Lord, but let's worship some other stuff too. Let's make other idols in our life. That's what they're doing here. Verse 15, Therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which couldn't rescue your own pe- or their own people from your hand? <laughs> right. So it was as he talked with him, with him that the king said to him, verse 16, Have we made you a king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you, because you have done this and not, have not uh, uh, heeded my advice. Now do me a favor and turn back to 2 Kings chapter 14. And you're going to see here, right here in between verse 7 and verse 8 of 2 Kings 14, 
You've now heard, as Paul uh, Harvey would say, the rest of the story. So that you know this, there was much unbelief in Amaziah's life. He hired mercenaries, right? He hired mercenaries, some trust in chariots. He brought in other gods. There was much adultery, which was a violation of the Ten Commandments. He did a lot of different things. Okay, now hold on, keep going. Verse 8, then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash. What had just happened for this king, Amaziah? We read it. He'd won a great war against the Edomites. He'd won a great war against the Edomites. Who is it that gives good gifts? The Father of lights, God himself, he gives good gifts. It's his, uh, we know that he giveth and taketh away. All, he's our all in all. All things are done through the Lord. There's no uh, place in the life of a person of God for being haughty and prideful and full of themselves. Because we know that everything comes from the Lord, and we just are stewards as the Lord lives in and through us. But oftentimes, the Christian life is most dangerous or most troublesome when great victories have come to Christians. And here, we see Amaziah wins this great victory over the Edomites. I read it to you in 2 Chronicles 25. It's referred here in, uh, in uh, 2 Kings 14, verse 7. He killed these Edomites in the Valley of Salt, took Selah by war, and called its name Jothkiel. And then it says, then. Then, what did he do? He brought in other gods. He got complacent. What else did he do? He sent messengers to Johah. Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, listen, the son of Jehu, the king of Israel. Currently, while Amaziah is the king of Judah, this one uh, uh, here, Jehoash, is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Are you catching it? He, the king of Judah, says to his, the ten tribe neighbors to the north, the king of Israel, let's fight. That's what he says. Why does he say it? We'll keep reading. He says, come, let us face off one another in battle. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son as a wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. He gives a little parable. He gives a little picture. And he says, um, the, the king of Israel in the north says to the king in the south, Amaziah, the one we're talking about, he says to him, I don't know if you know this, pal, but you're a thistle. And I'm a big deal. And if you come into war with me, you're going to get beat. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Oh, yeah, you have indeed defeated Edom. But here's the key. Look at this. But your heart became lifted up. Your heart has lifted you up. And he gives him a little advice. The northern kingdom gives to the southern king a little advice. By the way, remember, the southern kingdom is the kingdom of David. It's where the line runs that's going to run to Jesus. And here he says, 
You have indeed defeated Edom, but your heart has lifted you up. You're prideful. And glory in that. In other words, just rest there, southern king. You better hold off because if we come against you, we're going to pound you. Glory in that and stay home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? Please, he's saying, don't get too cocky. And the Bible all the way through, talks about pride. What is pride? Pride is this haughtiness, this lifting up. It's this separation that happens in your mind and heart when you forget that the things that have happened in your life are all because of the Lord. And you start to say to yourself, wow, I'm pretty good, and I'm going to go seek bigger and better things and you don't remember that it all came from the Lord. And what happens is, is when people get like that, they get all puffed up, he says it here, they get all puffed up and prideful, and they move on in their own strength. Guess what? There's blind spots in their life. They forget where they're weak. And the enemy can come and knock them out. The Bible's full of verses that talk about this. I mean, pride comes before a fall. We know that. You know that in the Proverbs. Of course, in the New Testament, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How about this one? Jesus said, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted, Matthew 23 says. What happens is, is we puff ourselves up, we make that separation between, and, and forget, we, so we forget to remember, if that's a phrase, that it's from the Lord. We, we, we don't attribute our successes to the Lord. We're, we're people who get blessed by the Lord, but like the lepers, we don't come back and say thanks. We don't wake up in the morning and understand that the job we, we've been doing for 30 years or 40 years is because of Him, and we don't ask for Him to fill us and lead us and guide us, and we can get in trouble, bad trouble, because we can go on in our lives and get toppled by the enemy and be humbled when we exalt ourselves through pride. And one of the things that happens along the way is we trample over others and hurt other people in that quest. Here we see it. Look at this. If you turn or follow with me in verse 11 of chapter 14, 2 Kings, verse 11, Amaziah, but Amaziah would, wouldn't heed. That's always a red flag, folks. Remember uh, in James, there's a demonic wisdom or a, a worldly wisdom and then there's a wisdom from the Lord. And one of the things that the Lord talks about when a person is filled with the Spirit is they're willing, listen to this, willing to yield. They're willing to listen to criticism. This, this is a problem in a lot of places. It's a problem in politics. You ever know that? Trample on everybody else. I'm the best. Forgetting we're from the Lord. It's a, it's a problem in businesses 
people do real well within the corporation. They get up to be CEOs and they, they act like this. Oh, folks, wait a minute, hold on. It's a problem in the church. Pastors start to have great successes and their church begins to grow, maybe in numbers, maybe in uh, the building itself or whatever. And, and, and they get to be in this place and they won't accept criticism. And if anybody criticism, they're like, who are you to tell me what it is? It's always a red flag when Amaziah or a leader won't heed the advice of others. Not that he always has to or, or uh, always follow the advice. But the Bible always calls us, whether we're leading or following or whatever, to be people of humility and flexibility and willing to yield. Well, Amaziah wasn't, and therefore Joash, verse 11, or Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another very near Jerusalem, which, Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah, about 15 miles away. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. So he captured him. He was destroyed. The enemy got him. See, when we're will, unwilling to yield and to hear from others with criticism, man, you're going to get captured by the enemy. And he went to Jerusalem, and then look what the king of Israel did. He broke down the wall. He broke a big piece of the wall, it tells us in 2 Chronicles 25, from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate. Well, it tells us here too, 400 cubits, a big piece of the wall. You understand? You know what this means for our life? You know what it pictures? When you're unwilling to yield, when you're a prideful person and you're unwilling to see the blind spots or the mistakes that you can make, and you can make them, we all can make them, you can get beat up or captured by the enemy, and your defenses start to come down. What, what defenses? Well, all kinds of defenses. You could, you know, who are you to tell me what I can look at or not look at on my phone? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do in my speech? Who are you to tell me what shows I can watch or what um, uh, 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 skimpy bathing suit uh, uh, ads I can look at? Who, who are you to tell me? And we let our defenses down and we're unprotected. You catch it? And then he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasury of the king's house, and he returned it to Samaria. The enemy will even steal our our ability, not our ability, but our, our, uh, the way in which we worship. It can just, he, you see it? He can get us totally. He can break our defenses down. He can go into the house of the Lord and, and take our worship implements. In other words, man, do we even feel like worshiping after the way in which uh, we've been just, you know, uh, swept off our feet by the enemy? We got to watch it when we have a prideful attitude. That's the point. Keep in a place of humility. Well, now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did, verse 15, his might and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles? Yes, we just read them. Well, we read them for Amaziah. But Jehoash rested with the fathers and was buried in Samaria with the king of Israel. Then Jeroboam, his son, then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. And if you have your uh, chart, you're, you'll know that. You'll know that. 
Amaziah, the son of Joash, verse 17, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel. And so we believe for those 15 years, he was uh, reigning as king of Judah in co-regency. We'll talk about that in a little bit with his son. Now, the rest of the acts of Amaziah, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Verse 19, and they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they uh, sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. They were upset. They were mad for lo- at him for losing and for bringing idols into the, uh, uh, to Judah and to perverting their worship and uh, letting their defenses be uh, broke down. And so they uh, go after him and they kill him there. And then they, verse 20, brought him on horses and he was buried at Jerusalem with his uh, fathers in the city of David. And this is very significant because this was the first of the cities of Judah to adopt these idolatries in the, uh, that kingdom, that southern kingdom. So it's very significant. We can't let our defenses down. And it all can be, uh, uh, we can all point to the pride in our life. Ah, I don't need somebody to watch over me with respect to my phone or what I watch. I'm not going to, you know, fall into pornography. Don't tell me about it. I'm the pastor, people say. And yet we see it's devastating. In verse 21, and all the people of Judah took Azariah. Now, forget the name Azariah. (laughs) It is Azariah. Uh, It is Azariah, but the name that you're going to want to know, his name is also Uzziah. This is Uzziah. That's going to be important in a minute. I'm going to tell you why. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah, and the king rested with his fathers. Okay, now real quick, we're going to move to the northern kingdom. Real quick, Jeroboam II. Remember, the first king of the northern kingdom was Jeroboam I. He did really bad things. He established golden calves in two cities, worship centers. Now we're talking about Jeroboam II. Catch this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, northern. And he reigned 41 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he didn't depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's the first He didn't depart, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel. Now, this guy did some really, uh, led the nation of Israel northern into some really despicable things. And if you want to see how despicable they are, you look at the prophets that prophesied to this kingdom at this time. Guess who they are? Amos, Hosea, Uh, Jonah and the whale. Jonah actually prophesies to them and uh, some others. But look at this. In Amos, he talks about uh, uh, that these people, he led them, this this king, uh, under his leadership, Jeroboam II, there was a society in which trampling the poor was normal, and that man and father would have sex and relations with the same girl. There was great perversion in sexual matters, and that there was drinking and drunkenness inside 
the house of God. And that the leaders, the leaders, folks, the leaders went through the motions when it come or when it came to the house of God. Amos says all of those things. Hosea says, listen to this one, just uh, as a, a, an example. There was no faithfulness or steadfastness in the love and knowledge of God. Nobody was faithful in loving God. No one kept at loving God. It just was something you just kind of did on, you know, this, you know, whatever day. You just kind of checked it off the list. But it wasn't, you weren't really serious about it. And in society, they said, well, these things are normal. Murder, stealing, adultery, and that uh, blood would, uh, bloodshed would follow after bloodshed. It was just normal. It was, it was a violent society. And man, oh man, as you read through these things in Amos and Hosea, and I did that today, uh, this morning in preparing for this, it sounded very much like our society today. <laughs> and here, look at this, as you go back, you go back, uh, to verse 24, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and he didn't depart from the, all the sins of Jeroboam. That's the first one who made Israel sin. He, verse 25, he restored though the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah according to the word of the Lord of the God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant. Check this out, Jonah. Jonah and the whale. Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath, he, he for. In other words, what he's saying to you right there is that uh, even though this king was evil, he helped, he must have been good in military things, restore much of the lands that were stolen or were given, excuse me, since uh, the time of Solomon. Were given in the time of Solomon that uh, uh, little by little had been taken away. He restored some of those lands. So he was good at military things. But look at this. Verse 26. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel uh, was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. Do you understand this? The Lord took pity. Are you catching this? Here's something that one commentator calls mysterious mercy. Because when you read this, your natural, normal inclination is to say, look what these guys are doing. Give it to them, Lord. And here it says that he, the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord, verse 27, did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. He saved them. And what happens to us is we get <laughs> riled up about that until we remember what mercy is. And he's done it to you and he's done it to me. For those who are in Christ, God has withheld from us what we deserve, which is spiritual death. And he's withheld that from us based on the sacrifice of Jesus. Here it's radical mercy. He had pity on the northern people, the kingdom of, or the people of the kingdom. 
Well, look at this, 28. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did is might, how he made war and how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath what had belonged to Judah. Aren't they written in the book of Chronicles? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the king of Israel. Then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. Now there are about 29 or so Zacharias. This isn't the one who was the prophet. Okay, 15. Catch this. Verse 1, 15. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah. Now remember, who's Azariah? Write this down. Make sure you know this. Azariah is Uzziah. And that should bring something to your mind. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, in the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah had this vision of the Lord. Uzziah was a good king for most of his life. And it would be like saying, where were you when your favorite president died? And your favorite president died or a really good president died and it just kind of marked the end of an era. And Isaiah notes it in Isaiah 6.1. This is an important king. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Well, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, who is Uzziah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And now here it comes, and I got to tell you, when I read this in my flesh, I start to get irritated. Here's this good king, Uzziah, the one that's very famous, the one that uh, Isaiah refers to in Isaiah 6, and it says here, verse 4, except that the high places, again, and the more we read through here, it's going to be high places, high places, high places remain, and nobody does anything about them. And it gets irritating, except the high places weren't removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incenses on the high places. Now remember, the Canaanites established these high places in 1 Kings 14. Uh, uh, Here in this area. But remember, they had been found as early as numbers. When the people were getting ready to cross over the Jordan, God said, when you get in there, remove the high places. But apparently, all this time, they didn't remove the high places, and the Canaanites reinstituted this high place worship. And so they keep telling us in 2 Kings that these kings would come into power and do what was right in the sight of the Lord, except they wouldn't remove the high places. Now remember, we talked about this last week. This can mean the pagan places where the people went up and worshipped. And it also can mean maybe what they were doing is they were going to those pagan places and maybe doing some pagan worship, but also worshipping the one true and living God, but they were mixing. You get it? And I start to get mad about this because you're going to see it several times over the next couple weeks. You're going to see it several times. And then I start to think of something. Hold on, wait a minute. What happened if it became so ingrained in the culture that people didn't even recognize it, it was bad anymore? And then I say, oh my goodness. 
what about us? There, there's so many things in our culture that now are, as accepted, are accepted as right when they're not right. And the Lord cries out against them in His Word. And we move on and we worship and do our stuff as the church. But do we even recognize that these things are things that we worship and idols in our life, or are they just something that's always there and always have been there, and we don't even know the difference? Do you get what I'm saying? And the Bible tells us, or at least uh, we can uh, see from the Bible, that these idols, there are idols in our life that don't have to be wooden images up on a high place. Anything that we have affections for more than the Lord can be an idol, and we could worship them. And that can include so many things like our careers and our hobbies and our relationships. And all of those things are important, but only as they come after the love for our Lord. And I'm just challenging you and I'm challenging me because the Bible tells us that judgment starts at the house of God. See, what can we do during this pandemic when everything's been stripped away? Our phones can be our idols, folks. If you're spending more time doing this and reading that than communing with the Lord, I got news for you. This is your idol. Your hobbies can be your idol. Your movies can be your idol. And none of them have to be bad, but if they're higher than the Lord, they are your idol. And they are my idol. And if that's so, have this litmus test. Have somebody criticize you for doing that thing or paying attention to that thing and see how you react to the person who's criticizing you. And if you're touchy about it, whoa, watch out. Just like in the last chapter, it's something that you want to hold on to more than the Lord. Well, check this out. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. Now, you've got to know something. The Second Chronicles passage, I won't take you there uh, because uh, we're getting on in time, but in the Second Chronicles com- uh, passage, guess what happens to him? This king decides that he wants to go into the, uh, uh, the temple area and act as a priest and set up the incense. And God had said, no, 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 priests do that. Kings rule, priests do that. And you're not to mix the offices in the Old Testament. Why? Because there was only one who could mix the office. That was Jesus Christ himself. And so this king, Uzziah, misrepresented God to the people. He tried to be both king and priest. Kind of like Moses. You remember when God said, hey, when the people said in the wilderness, hey, you know what? Um, We're thirsty. And God said, I want you to go down and speak to the rock and get water out of it. Moses gets really upset and angry. Boom! He strikes the rock. They do get some water, but guess what the Lord says? You cannot go into the promised land, Joshua is, because you misrepresented me to the people. 
Here, the same thing happened. And this man, this king, became a leper until the day of his death. He still suffered the consequences. Sin can be forgiven, yes, but we still suffer the consequences. And here, he did, okay? Now, hold on. By the way, time out. At the end of this book, finally, two kings wipe out the high places. We'll get to them in a couple weeks. Hezekiah and Josiah. That's all the way back in 2 Kings 23, but that's for later. Anyway, uh, verse 5, Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house, and Jotham the king's son was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. Uh, uh, This is the one that has the co-regency. You see that? His son comes in and helps him because he's a leper and he has to be outside the camp and all those sorts of things. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah, what's his name? Uzziah. And all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Judah? So Azariah rested with his fathers and they buried him with the fathers in the city of David. Uh, Then Jotham his son reigned in his place. Okay, now watch this. Israel king, Israel king, Israel king, Israel king, Israel king. We got one, two, three, four, five Israel kings in a row. We're going to run through them real fast. Hold on. We're just going to basically name them and you're going to read them. Look at this. Zechariah reigns in Israel. Verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, is in Israel. Zechariah here after Jeroboam. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, didn't depart from Jeroboam or the sins. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, they're written in the book of the Chronicles. Now look at this, verse 12. This was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation, and so it was. So if you have your chart of the kings of Israel, Jehu got to have four of his sons sit on the king of Israel. Jehoaz, Jehoash, Jeroboam, and this guy right here named Zechariah. In other words, you should be leaping up and down because God is committed to his promise. And here, even the northern kings who weren't so great, God promised. They wiped out Baal worship and God promised, and he kept his promise. Man, is that a good thing. All right, now hold on with me, and we're going to finish strong. Then what happens is this guy named Shalom reigns. Shalom, verse 13, the son uh, of Jabesh became king, and he reigned one month. <laughs> and then in verse 14, Menahim, the son of Gadai, went up from Tirzah, came to Samaria, and he killed Shalom, the son of Jabesh, He killed him and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts and the conspiracy which he led, indeed they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. In other words, Proverbs 26 tells us, he who digs a pit will fall into it. This guy assassinated somebody. He was assassinated real quick. But I want you to see something about this Menahim. Then from Tirzah, Menahim attacked Tifshah, all who were there, and its territory, because they didn't surrender. Therefore, he attacked it. All the women there who were with child, he ripped open. He pulled out the babies 
from the ones who were there. This was actually prophesied in Hosea 3.16. You can read about that there. When really, Hosea, for most of the, uh, almost the entire book, uh, prophesied against the southern kingdom, there's a reference in there to this Ephraim and this one who would rip out children. It's, it's fascinating, Hosea 3.16. Anyway, verse 17, he's, he's the son of Gadai, became king over Israel, reigned 10 years, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then verse 19, Pool, king of Assyria. This is what I want you to see. Everybody wake up. I know it's a lot of names. I know it's a lot of people. But if you're not going to study 2 Kings now, when will you ever study it? And here, listen, Assyria starts to dip into Israel. And guess what's coming in a few years? They're going to come. They're going to take fish hooks. They're going to put it in the nose and mouths of these people. And they're going to trot them out of Israel up into the north. That's, they were wicked. And here, look at this. Pool, king of Assyria, came against the land, and this Menahim, he gave them talents of silver. Instead of trying to get rid of them, he tries to appease them. And verse 20, Menahim exacted the money from Israel. How dastardly. He took money, he taxed Israel, and gave it to Assyria. He taxed the people of Israel. So the king of Assyria turned back and didn't stay there in the land. Verse 21, now the rest of the acts of Manaheim and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So he rested with the father. Then this Pekai reigns in Israel. In the 15th year, verse 23 of Azahiah, king of Judah, this Pekahiah, son of Manaheim, became king over Israel and reigned two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, etc. Verse 25, then Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, an officer of his, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Ariath, and with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and remained in his place, Gilead's east of the Jordan. Uh, now the rest of the acts of this guy written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Here's another king we're getting through. Pekah then reigns in Israel. In the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, stay with me. I got a point. I promise you. I got a point. We're going long. I know. Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, became king in Samaria, reigned 22 years, did evil in the sight of the Lord, just like Jeroboam, 29. In the days of Pekah, look at this. This is the point I want you to get to. Tiglath Pilezer, king of Israel, or king of Assyria, look, he comes and takes, look at all these areas he starts to take. They've been appeased. The king of Israel, Assyria has been appeased. And now he comes and takes Ijon, Abel, Beth, Makkah, Janoa, Kedesh, Hazar, Gilead, and look, circle it, Galilee. The enemy, all the land of Naphtali, and he carries them captive to Assyria. But we're not quite to the ultimate time when he does this in 722. That's in a couple chapters, a couple years. Then Hosea, the son of Elad, led a conspiracy, struck and killed him, so he reigned in his place in the 20th year, etc. Verse 31. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah, they're in the Chronicles. Verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. So now we're back into Judah. Uzziah's son, Jotham, begins to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, reigned 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. That's a high priest line. He was from the priestly line. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did all according to all that his father, Uzziah, had done. 
However, the high places weren't removed. They still let them go on. They're so ingrained. And the people sacrificed and burned incense. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Syria, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, against Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers, buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned. Okay, now look up. Ah, that's a mouthful. Why did you do all of that? I want you to see something from the life of Uzziah, and then we're going to worship and get out of here. But I don't want you to miss this. Uzziah, we talked about him. He's a very important person. Uzziah reigned in Judah. He was a good king, but he didn't eliminate the high places. He misrepresented. He did. If you read the Chronicles uh, account, he built beautiful things. He was interested in the things of the Lord. He tried to help the people, but he didn't get rid of the high places. And also, he misrepresented to the Lord, or the Lord to the people in his later years. And here's what I want you to know. Good beginnings don't mean successful ends. Don't we want to be people at the end of our life when we see the Lord that he would say, well done. Not successful servant, good and faithful servant. There's something about finishing well, whether you're a senior saint or a middle-aged saint like me, probably a little past middle age. Or a younger saint, don't you want to finish well? Look at these scriptures and then we'll pray. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Don't you want to keep the faith until the end? How about this? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. There's a way to run. It's a faithful way. How about this in Acts 20, verse 24? None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. What? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here's what I'm trying to say, and I could go on. Philippians 3.14, pressed toward the gruel, the upward call of Christ. Hey, Ecclesiastes 7 says, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. You know that? Don't, look, look, folks, look. Don't you want to run the way, race in such a way to, to, uh, uh, that you, at your dying breath, at your dying breath here on earth to be present with the Lord, but with your dying breath here in Lord, don't you want to be here laying it out all out for Jesus in a race, laying it out with your dying breath, even in your dying breath right here, they say in Acts 20, 24, you're still testifying to the goodness of the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, what, what is this guy getting all worked up about? And as we come and we worship, here's what I'm getting all worked up about. We're not just learning about second kings and the kings and all the kings and kings and kings. We're learning from beginning to end, the entire counsel of God, the Bible tells us. We are to teach to you the entire counsel of God. Why? Because for those who surrender their lives to Christ, 
they receive eternal life. But for those who reject the word of Christ, they receive eternal separation or damnation. Separation from God. And for those who are in the family of God, we can be, or we are called to redeem the time now. While there's all these things stripped away from us, what is the one thing that will give us the resource in life to live out this life in a hurting and dying world? That's communion with God. And I'm worried that we're not redeeming the time. I'm worried that we're running to every other thing but to Him. Oh Lord, help us. If you need to surrender your life to Christ, pray with me. If you need uh, strength and resource to redeem the time and joy, pray with me. Lord, thank you for this day. And I pray for those who want to come into the family of God, that they would agree with you that they're sinners and ask you to come into their life and be the Lord and Savior of their life. And then as you fill them with your spirit, Lord, that they would live for you forever, humbling themselves so you could be exalted. And oh boy, Lord, do that for us. Lord, help us to redeem the time and not waste it during this pandemic or whatever you call it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.